is Offscript with Trish Close. Intimate interviews and conversations with interesting people. And in front of my microphone today is Josh Dorchak of Moss and Ashland. Hi. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Welcome. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Moss. Uh, you guys have been open just a few weeks, right? Yeah, we're coming on our fifth week this awesome. week. Awesome. So. All right. We're going to talk a lot about Moss a little bit later. Uh, first of all, where are you from? I'm from the Bay Area, California. So I grew up in Cupertino. Silicon Valley, um, totally different landscape than we have here. A little bit. <laughs> Cupertino is the, um, that's the land where you buy an iPhone and it shows yeah, up on your iPhone. The land of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like growing up in the Bay Area? Um, it was great. You know, I think there was lots of like multicultural families. So I remember going to like, you know, my Japanese friends, uh, my Pakistani friends. Like, so mm -hmm. all the households you went over when you were a kid were different. Um, so I thought that was Looking back, it was great. Okay, and Dorchek is what? Uh, Czechoslovakian, and I've uh, lots of Polish blood in me too. Okay, um, and you're uh, you were t telling me your grandparents met in Chicago? Yeah, so they met in Chicago, and I guess I, I don't really know, but I guess back then the story goes that the the Czechs and the Polacks didn't really get along. What? Um, and so they had to move to California to kind of run away and get married. Okay, um, tell me about your childhood. What was that like? Um, so a pretty big family. Um, my dad had three brothers and both sets of grandparents lived, you know, very close to each other. Oh, so nice. it was lots of, lots of family, lots of food. Um, my dad's side of the family definitely embraced eating together at the dining room table, doing big family gatherings, um, all focused kind of around food. Do you have siblings? I have one older sister. Okay. Um, and so getting around the dinner table and eating, was it always a lot of people or was it really just immediate family? Um, mostly immediate family, like my parents were divorced, so my dad made a pretty big point, um, looking back, it was pretty mm -hmm. cool that he kind of like always just had us come and sit down at the table, but then usually it was like Monday night dinners that the whole family got together okay. at my grandparents' house and it was just like a big kind of cookout. Were your grandparents big cooks? Um, I wouldn't say big cooks. I just think they grew up in the, that era of, you know, growing, having a garden okay. and they had three boys. So I'm sure they, you know, they cooked a lot. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah. What was some of the, do you, I mean, do you have fond memories of any sort of food that you would make or your dad would make? Um, well, my father would usually just kind of go all out with ingredients. So we go to the store and he'd like buy like live lobster and we just go oh. home and like cook it um not saying that's i mean it was cool to do yeah. um i don't know if we really cooked it right or respected <laughs> the ingredient to the most but um right but lots of you know like just the typical barbecue chicken taco salad kind of mm -hmm. just these flavors that you kind of like i look back on now i'm like oh my gosh that reminds me of oh nice whatever a little yeah. nostalgic yeah and you were put to work in the kitchen well yeah we I always had like a job, whether it was starting the barbecue, like the Weber with a little chimney and tearing up newspaper. Um, that I love that one because it involved fire. Um, and <laughs> then, course. and then uh, cutting bread, like cutting the garlic bread, or you know, preparing that thing, or mm -hmm. whatever the task was. Um, I always had something to do, which okay. is. And that started your, I mean, I don't know, I don't want to say that started your love for cooking, but you were... I think it was instilled, you know? Yeah. Um, then, as I kind of grew up and watched, you know, as TV came part of more into, uh -huh. like, the picture of growing up, 
I used to like just love watching this Iron Chef Japan mm -hmm. on the Food Network when that first started. And I was just like obsessed with it. So like seeing the action and the ingredients and the knives and the, the, all the flair that they did, um, that's when it was just kind of like, whoa, like this whole chef thing is a really cool yeah. like thing. So um, yeah, that kind of like kind of was my first insight sure. into the environment. Right. What were you like in high school? Um, um, I don't know if I remember high school. <laughs> no, I was really big into skateboarding. I was not into academics at all. Um, it just didn't click. Mm -hmm. And um, the more I realize about myself, it's like if I'm not into it, I am so checked out that it's just not even. It's, I'm not even a fun person to be around, you know. Um, when I'm like that, so. School, academia, like not at all on my wavelength. I really liked being outside right. and, and doing that kind of thing. But culinary school did click for you, and that came after. That came after, you know, maybe I grew up a little bit. You know, I was 18 when I went. So I think when I was a senior in high school, like it kind of, the work clicked. It was like, oh, all I got to do is the work. Um, and then the culinary school hap thing happened, and that was where it really was like, oh my gosh, I really understand the purpose behind everything. Mm -hmm. Everything is a little bit more like black and white. You do this, this comes out of it, or you do this wrong, this happens. So yeah. it was a little bit more realistic for me to... You just fit there. I mean, it was the process that... Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, and I guess, what was it about culinary school that you were just like, this is what I'm meant to do? Um, you know, I think the, the there was like some strictness to it, you know, it was like the uniform, mm -hmm. the all these things that like I maybe I don't respect too much now, like in my own kitchen, mm -hmm. but like, you know, it was like this respect to what you were learning and all these other kind of, I don't know, everything seemed to matter. Yeah. Um, and then everybody talks about going to culinary school and learning the mother sauces and mm -hmm. that that's sort of a big deal. But I mean, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's very I'm not going to diss the education and like the right. the background of it. Um, I just I, I, I don't really ever I don't see the relevance mm -hmm. <laughs> in too much of it anymore, at least with what I'm doing. I mean, of course, it's probably very important for other people's avenues, but um. Like for, for me, it's like, no, it's more about breaking the rules and developing my own, my own, my own rules. Right. Um, so. Okay. And then um, after culinary school, what happened? After culinary school, um, jobs happened, working for mm -hmm. free happened. <laughs> a lot of a working for free. A lot of working for free, a lot of um, dishwashing, kind of like just to get in the door and have something to do to prove that, you know, you can work. Um, traveling happened. <laughs> I think traveling as well as you know working in other top kitchens was probably like i mean i'm I'm most grateful that i had the opportunity to do all the traveling that i've done um and focused mainly around food okay so what was the first restaurant you worked at first restaurant i worked at <laughs> um technically i mean like ever was my father's my father owns a golf school in the bay area and at the golf club thing mm -hmm. I washed dishes for a day, and I was like, this sucks, and I quit. <laughs> and then uh, the first real one, I think, was a place called Sauce that was in Hayes Valley in San Francisco. Okay. Where I would go in, I would scrub dishes from, like, you know, they were stacked up on the floor. It seemed like mm. from the night before. I don't even know. It was just awful. 
and then I would go through and pick through produce and then set mm -hmm. up and I was just there all the time like just okay. really I, I would now looking back it was probably really annoying like, <laughs> like what is this young kid always doing here but um and then after culinary school um you worked in you got a job in Oakland right yeah I got a job in Oakland at a place called Pearl Oyster Bar which was like right near the university or right near um, Berkeley okay. um in Rockridge and kind of worked this raw bar was focused around you know oysters and like just top quality seafood and that like exposed me to what is quality and like um how, how much of a difference that makes mm -hmm. and then also like this real like line cooking where it's like it's busy and you have to figure it out right um where'd you go from there um from there i went up to napa and worked at this place called silverado um and i did that for six months but i i really didn't like mm -hmm. living up there so i moved back to oakland um and kind of got my old job back a little bit and uh then came up here essentially yeah you were you were in arizona at the time yeah no i came back here for a year um this is like a number of years ago and then i we moved to my partner and i moved to arizona so she could finish okay. school I ended up getting an amazing job at this restaurant called Binkley's. Um, there was like this, this huge waiting list of cooks that like wanted to go do this thing. He, you know, has this resume and I guess, you know, it was like a desirable place to work. I ended up not really liking it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I learned it so much, you know, it was one of these jobs where it was like a 13 hour work day. Mm -hmm. It was just incredibly intense. There was yelling, there was like belittling, there was the whole <laughs> gamut of like what these industries, like what some of these places are like, sure. you know, the molecular gastronomy stuff with all the fancy white powders and like a prep list that was just impossible every day. So it was like draining. Um, and so I learned a lot about like what one the most important thing was like what mm -hmm. I didn't want to ever become and or the mentality that I never wanted to carry. Really? Um, like screw all that stuff, you yeah. know, like it's really not that important, you know? Wow. Um, and then, too, it was just like, I can't, I don't work well in this environment. You know, it's too stressful. I like, mm -hmm. where's, like, where's the zen? There's, this is not a safe place. This is just a place <laughs> of fury, anger, and ego. The opposite of no stress in the moment was yeah. every stressful moment. Every stressful moment. Okay. What brought you to the Rogue Valley? Um, well, a girl. A girl. Um, and then I really just fell in love with, like, just the, the landscape. And coming from a city... And growing up in a city, sure, I, we, I got out and I knew what wilderness mm -hmm. was, but actually, like, <laughs> seeing a valley and where people lived in the close proximity of mm -hmm. where the town was and the way the air smelt and, like, just yeah. the copious amounts of space that you could see, um, that really kind of caught my attention. Well, you've told me the story. This is a little deja vu, but you've told me the story. Uh, you were driving up here. It was, like, in the middle of the night in November. Yeah. On November. Yeah, like, and I had never really driven that far north out of the Bay Area <laughs> or California. And it just seemed to, like, okay, you get to this point where, like, the woods start, like, by Shasta. Yeah. And it just seems like, oh, my gosh, like, I feel like I've been driving for 12 hours. Uh -huh. Where is the next town? And then... You know, I'm expecting Ashland to be something maybe a little bit bigger, or I don't know what I'm expecting. Right. And it's just like, Ashland, three exits, and it's like, oh, like n nothing is, uh, it was like really late, so obviously nothing is open, but so dark, just right? like dark. Um, so that was my first experience coming to Ashland. I really didn't even know where I was. And you were saying just 
what hit you really big was the smells. Yeah, the, I mean, just like that cold winter air. Mm-hmm. Where almost like, I, I thought it just smelled like the color blue. Where it's like, what does even that smell like? It smelled like, mm-hmm. like snow. And, is, that, yeah. is that a big, I mean, are smells a big thing for you? Yeah, no, I think I definitely, you know, olfactory memory mm-hmm. of, of that, of, you know, experience and, and that uh, memory. You know, it's like they're the most powerful ones. So those are the ones I try to, you know, really focus on. At least yeah. when I'm cooking food. Sure. You know, I'm tasting a lot, but I'm more smelling everything from, you know, people eat with their eyes first. Mm-hmm. And then, but like, that's almost like you're smelling while you're looking. Yeah. And that's almost that initial instinct of like is this good or is it bad my grandmother has a huge cast iron pot mm-hmm. and every time we heat it up it smells like her pot roast yeah every whether we're cooking pot roast in it or not yeah but there's but, something about that it feels safe yep yeah no there's security and like people i i guess i don't know i'm trying to be people think that or i'm trying to be a custodian mm-hmm. to i don't want to make you feel uncomfortable like the whole part of cooking food is to bring comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes I push the envelope <laughs> just with like being creative or different ingredients or anything like that. But all at the boil it all down, there is this level of like, what can it bring you back to? You know, like where mm-hmm. is something that you can identify with? And I, that's to me the, the number one challenge of, mm-hmm. of cooking food. Right. It's the movie. I don't know if you've seen Ratatouille. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when he eats the Ratatouille, yeah. he's instantly taken back to yeah. being a child. Yeah. It's very sweet. And food, I think, really does do that. And I, yeah. I think what the food that we're doing with Moss, too, it's like it's indicative of the time and place within the season. So if you're a person that gets outside, um, gets on a trail every once in a while, or just like is noticing mm-hmm. what's happening like around, it's... Uh, it's more trying to invoke those mm-hmm. kind of like, oh my gosh, I just saw that today. Like, oh, like I was just over in Jacksonville and I smelt like the, the wild elderberry blossoms. And like, this is it right now in front of me and I get to eat that. So like there's a part of like maybe not so much like distant memory, but more mm-hmm. of like, you know, real life experience. Mm-hmm. Right now. It, yeah, like right now in this valley. And it's, you know, hope, hopefully that can be captured, but like maybe sometimes it's right. overlooked. <laughs> um, you you were in Ashland around 2006, correct? Yes. And where'd you work at that time? Um, a Muse restaurant hired me first, or I applied there. Um, and Eric and Jamie hired me as like, you know, I was just working the garmage mm-hmm. thing, which is salads. Um, and, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I ended up, you know, it was a great learning environment. They mm-hmm. were, you know, fr- they are both from, or Eric was from the Bay Area, and he had, you know, it was lots of simil- similar kind of like sure. philosophies at that time. And I ended up working there for about six and a half, seven years, and became their head chef. I'm kind of like early on to my tenure mm-hmm. there. And yeah, like learned more about like, the local farms, um, and yeah, it was just a really good experience mm-hmm. to have in this area. Where did you get the idea for Moss? Because Moss was actually a pop-up before yeah, it, it was is a, what it is now. Moss has been in my head for a number of years, maybe like five years. I've, I have like a collection of restaurant concepts that I've thought of and like wanted to do, and I remember like thinking of restaurant names like years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, Moss, like more. I was like, that sounds cool. Right. But what is it? You know, it's not Spanish. I don't want to do Spanish food. Right, because Moss in Spanish it, is more. more. So 
And it became this more of like a belief system and or just, you know, it's it is what it is. You know, it's asking me to be a lot more than what I have been in the past of mm -hmm. a more of a creative um, more from, you know, obviously the diner showing up and like trusting yeah. this menu, trusting me um, to serve them something that's, you know, satisfying and mm -hmm. that tastes good that they won't dislike. Right. Because you know? it's a blind menu. You don't really go to Moss. There's no, we don't post a menu in the window. We don't have one online yet. Um, you know, hopefully it's kind of this modern way of like, you know, using this Instagram and social media platform to kind mm -hmm. of like, keep the followers up to date on things via picture. Um, right. And instead of like, hey, like here's some print, because when it's in print, it doesn't make any sense. You know, if you read um, like. Hold on, I got it right here. Um, we have a few. Fermented and roasted turkey kumquat avocado, warabi morel and chicken head sauce. That's my favorite. Artichoke with caramelized malted whey wild onions, goose yolk, and fresh cow's cheese. Those are just a few things that yeah. have been on the menu recently. Yeah, those are recent. Re and like, so the wild onion one is really cool because, you know, those are coming from in the Cascade range above Grizzly Peak right now. Um, the fresh cow cheese, we experimented with making cheese with koji, which is a whole nother podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, yay. And, uh, and then we serve it with uh, this goose yolk from Willow Wit. And we then serve it with ants, which are army ants from up in the Green Springs. And ants have this like, you know, formic acid in them. So it's like when you eat them, you have this like, it's like a shot of lime, like a, okay. just a crazy thing. Ants. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, it's weird-ish. Yeah. But it's also, it's like, that's what we have here. Like those are actually ingredients that we have that are edible and that like add to mm -hmm. flavor. So. Is the philosophy behind not posting a menu or not having it anywhere where people could see it is because you want them to not be, I don't want to eat ants and not have to like well, experiment or like open their mind a little bit? Maybe that's part of it. Maybe there's like some insecurity with like maybe if we posted it, people wouldn't come. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that's like, that's probably some bit of truth. But also it, give, it gives me um, and my partner, my business partner, Luke, like a little bit more breathing room mm -hmm. to be creative where it's like we don't have to follow the script that we're telling everyone that we're going to follow you know it's kind of like a spontaneous show mm -hmm. um that we're well rehearsed in you know and it's that and that's why i think yeah and you really do use a lot of things that are right here in our yeah. backyard the the chicken heads for yeah instance. like those yeah i mean we're just trying to be you know we're trying to focus in on this, what's sustainable and like how can we really support the local farms which a lot of restaurants do and there's like this whole theory behind yeah like we need to buy the whole crop and everything right. like that and that's all groovy um but you know sometimes it's just that's a lot of stuff that how do you commit to that mm -hmm. um and so with the chicken head thing forage and plow farm and little applegate um he was like you know he they culled all their meat birds and they used everything else you know and Brock, the owner, was like, hey, I got these chicken heads. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah, like, let's, <laughs> I'll buy them. You know, of course, let's, like, make the birds, like, this, they're all being used. Right, you know? yeah. Um, and I thought the chicken head sauce was awesome. You know, it was just, like, a really rich chicken um, stock okay. that we just reduced down. So it's not like you're eating, like, visible brains and eyeballs and tongues and all this other, like, things that the head kind of maybe brings yeah. to light. 
Uh, it's just it's just bones and cartilage, just like feet would be or anything. Exactly. Like that. And is it more the people who come to Moss should they kind of trust your process a little bit? Yeah, no, they should come and learn about it. You know, that's the whole thing because you sit down, you have the option of sitting down at a counter, which is just like you are, you know, more than a hand reach away from mm -hmm. what we're doing. Um, and it's it's the dialogue. You know, there's a story behind every dish, and we love. I love talking about it. And, that's awesome. and then that's part of the experience. You yeah. know, it's like you're not just given a menu and then given 10 courses without the the guidance, you know, mm -hmm. from from us. And we don't have a service staff, so it's it's all mm -hmm. us, you know. Um, local chef Brayden Hit, I told you this from mm -hmm. uh, the pop-up over easy in Medford said he first of all gave huge kudos because he went to one of the dinners and just you know we were talking about it and I was like some of the things on the menu I I just I don't even know what they are I've never heard yeah. he's like same here yeah you know I haven't either but I think that comes into what you're saying it's this learning experience yeah it's learning experience and it's also I mean our goal our real goal at the end of you know well at the end of Moss or maybe it hopefully it never ends but is to really like help maybe not help define, but to bring to light, mm -hmm. you know, more of a Cascadian cuisine base, mm -hmm. you know, like we, we're in a very unique area, very different from the Willamette Valley. Um, and then the San Francisco Bay, the two most popular, you know, places to live on either side of us. Um, and I, I, I think we are unique. And I think that should be brought to the table mm -hmm. of nationwide. Um, and the hospitable side of it mm -hmm. is big for you. Yes, yes. Um, I don't, we don't turn tables at Moss. Mm -hmm. One, uh, I, I, I appreciate when I travel, you know, in European countries and you just kind of like sit and you chill and you're like, man, I just had a beer <laughs> and they're not kicking me out and like I'm taking up maybe four seats because sure. I'm at a table for four. It doesn't matter, you know, because you're their guest and, and that's what, I want Moss to, to mm -hmm. always be is just like, no, you're coming over into like, you're in my realm and I want mm -hmm. you to be as comfortable as possible. And so we don't turn the table. So when you get a reservation or you buy a ticket, um, that's, it's your spot for the night. You know, nice. you can, you can hang out and talk and drink, yeah, drink. And right. Is that a throwback a little bit to kind of family growing up and having dinners around the dining room table? Yeah, you know, I, d I definitely think so. I think it's been in, it's instilled, right? Um, and it's I, I, I mean, but also part of it is just how negative is the experience when, you know, you're sitting at a table, you've had a great meal with some friends, and then you get the bill. You know, it's like the bill is like this, like dun dun dun, like <laughs> it's all over. You have to split up the check, figure out the tip, uh, and it just seems like it's a naked. Maybe it's not so negative, no, but I it's use, I, yeah, it, it it's leaves, an end. It leans on the end of like, yeah. oh man, yeah. like, and I, I think that maybe it's part of like being a kid too, you know, when you're having so much fun and then your parent comes and you're like, okay, we got to go home. And it's like, come on, like, why <laughs> does it have to stop, you know? And, and I think that's why we do the ticket thing. So it's, you pay in advance, mm -hmm. um, you can supplement a wine pairing, sake pairing or whatever. But, you know, if you get there and you're like, I want a glass of wine, and that turns into another glass of wine and a Japanese whiskey, it's like there's no bill even. We just put it onto the reservation right. that you prepaid on. So it's just like, you know, keep keep the party going. Yeah. And, you know, we'll make sure you're okay. That could be dangerous, you I was know? just going <laughs> like, it's, our, it's our job <laughs> to make sure that you, you leave right. um, safely and you remember what, you, <laughs> what you've just experienced. But, um, 
you know, I, I, I really like that. And, yeah. I, and I, that's what I want to promote. It's, it's almost like you don't, you kind of forget that you did pay and you're really just going to a buddy's house and you're having yeah. a really fantastic dinner. I think it changes the experience truthfully. I think it for the better. Um, and I, I, I think it'd be great if like more restaurants kind of switched to the model. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it also changes the, the, um, the industry of, you know, restaurants are hard to run. Yeah. They're like notorious for, for going under. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about the vitality or the volatility of the ingredient that you bring in, you know, it's all perishable. So if you can like at least secure a deposit from the people that are saying they're going to come in, mm-hmm. you're more likely to show up and like eat the food and like yeah. do the thing, thus making the industry a little bit safer. You take sure. away the variable. No, that makes sense. Um, is it important to you to be different um, in Ashland or in no, the Rogue Valley? No, it's not that important. Like... Because you do stand like, out. Ma- Moss does stand out. Yeah, which is great that it does. I'm, like, so humbled and, like, mm-hmm. but it's it's humbling in a way where it's, like, I'm not trying too hard to be that different. I just I just happen to be that different, different. you know. Um, it's not a goal. I don't wake up every morning and be, like, how can I be different than everyone else today? I'm not trying to make a statement. It's not – I'm not like that as a person. Mm-hmm. So it's just really cool that it's, like, working out and I'm – every day that someone like signs up for dinner mm-hmm. it's like holy cow like mm-hmm. i can't believe this is like even happening awesome. you know so it's a very humbling experience and happy um when you're not working and when you're not fermenting and doing all your <laughs> sciencey nerdy cooking things what do you crave like what kind of what kind of food do you either want to make or you want to eat or well, usually i don't really want to make anything right but um i mean with my family, mm-hmm. um, my family of three, we kind of sit down and like decide like for the next week, like what flavors we want to have. Okay. So sometimes it'll be like, let's do Moroccan, let's do, you know, this Japanese kind of thing, or let's just do like Americana, like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever food. But, uh, you know, if I, if I'm left to, if I don't have my son or my fiance is out of town, like it's just white bread and mayonnaise. Right. You know, it's like, I don't, it doesn't. It's just like get me out of the door and like I just want to get into the cooking environment, which is mm-hmm. like my kitchen, because mm-hmm. like my home kitchen is like not anything you might think like oh yeah he's a chef and he has all these like fancy things. It's like yeah no it's yeah. like that's actually so. true with a lot of chefs. Yeah, because they don't cook when they're home. You can't bring it home, or else it's like I'm too. It'd be crazy. Mm-hmm. It'd just not be good. And you've been in a lot of kitchens, and even with Moss now. Do you have you ever gotten burned out, or have you ever gotten to that point where you're just like, ugh, I just don't want to do it for right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think so. Uh, it's not a good time. I think that's like on the the peaks and valleys side of like mm-hmm. just being a human and like having, you know, you're like, oh, this is great, and then it's like, man, it could be such a drag sometimes, especially when it's, I, I don't know, it's like I think working. That's why I don't want to work for anyone anymore. It's like yeah. it's too much stress to like. You know, you're the chef and it's up to you to make it go well in a way. Yeah. And it's like, well, shoot, like, can't make everyone happy all exactly. the time. And but you still have this great passion for it. Yeah, no, but I, I'm I'm very lucky personally um, that I just, I just know that this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Nice. 
and I'm just trying to define a better way of doing it that's a little bit more healthy, less anxiety, less <laughs> less of all the like negative things that kind of go along with um, cooking food for a living. Okay, uh, we're gonna wrap up, and so I'm gonna get to my final three. Uh, best advice you've ever been given? Um, this came from this guy called Kevin Binkley from Binkley's in Arizona. Even though it was a little bit intense, he, um, you know, when I was getting a job, he was saying or trying to file through the, the mm -hmm. line of people that that um, the best chefs know all aspects of their restaurant so you should take the front of the house position even though if you don't want to because that'll just give you better insight so basically just just know know your business and know it well on the insides and outs of it right and this is coming from I mean well you were a dishwasher for a while so yeah you get I mean, it. and and I now am doing the front of the house stuff too, the table right. service and I you know, it's all very important, and it's just to be a chef that's like says like I just the, cook the food and like that's mm -hmm. my job. It's like, well, take a step back and actually think about what mm -hmm. the industry you're in. Right. It's, it's a lot because, about it. Because you and I were talking too about you could have easily been in a restaurant where you're sort of hiding behind the stack of plates, yeah. and now you're very much out in the open. Very yeah, and there's nowhere to hide at, at the restaurant. <laughs> they're, they're literally <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> um, and and that's good. That's good for me. You know, mm -hmm. I'm like kind of like, you know, I don't want to be the limelight um, all the time. Like it's a lot of it's like, you know, just I just cook the food and it's yeah. good and that's all I need to worry mm -hmm. about. But now it's like, oh man, I'm watching everyone's first impression. That's you know, true. So. Yeah, good point. Um, if you were ever to leave uh, Southern Oregon, what would you miss the most? What would bring you back here? Um, I would have to say the landscape of what what <laughs> I mean the bounty that we're actually in, mm -hmm. the the budding scene of something that could be really amazing um, in the future. I've heard a lot of people say you know we're the next Napa Valley of you know whatever whatever, and you know well no we're we're not going to be the next Napa Valley. We're going to be a totally Mm -hmm. totally different thing you know we're gonna be it's southern a, oregon yeah it's yeah. that's why it's like the wild west here it's like we can define what we want to be we just have to go for it awesome um and if you were given a last meal and a last drink what would that be um meal would be this i mean it's you know very courses uh, of course well like yeah a multi-course meal would be great but i mean it would have to be like steam clams um with like really nice white wine normandy butter really nice baguette like a really crusty just sourdough kind of baguette mm -hmm. and then um like vintage champagne probably would just be like that'd be chill okay <laughs> so chill and normandy <laughs> butter is uh, french butter from normandy um like super just makes like sense. cheese almost yeah okay so um and then tell everybody uh about moss if you, if they want tickets they can go online yeah so you go online uh explore slash mas and that's like, you know, all the information about the restaurant, the calendar, the experience, um, experiences that you can sign up for. And then it's definitely like we're a small, small space. So if you're coming from somewhere afar, I wouldn't recommend just showing up because um, oftentimes we either have no more seats or we're to mm -hmm. our capacity of what we can handle for that night. Okay. So it's definitely important to kind of get a ticket in advance and plan around it. Yeah, make it make it a date, make yep. it a plan. Perfect. Josh Dorchek, thank you so much. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. That helps other people find us. You can check out the video portion of this podcast at ktbl.com. Just click on features, then off script. Josh, thanks so much. All right, thanks. Thanks.